scandals. There's a lot of them. All right, now let's talk about David. And here's what I want to talk about this morning in the midst of all these scandals. The mission of Grace Community Church is this, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And here's my question to you. What does that look like? What does it look like to have a growing relationship with Jesus? Are there any markers for that? Any way that we can measure? Because we often talk, well, how can you measure spiritual growth? How can you measure? It's so hard to measure. Is there a way to measure it? And maybe we'll see in the scripture today, maybe there is a way to measure it. And maybe if we set our markers right, maybe it would help us to avoid some of the scandals that we enter into in this life. So here we go. How do you grow in your relationship with Jesus? Now, listen, David is on top of the world. So I said a minute ago, Jimmy Swagger is on top of the world. Look, nobody is on top of the world as much as King David as we enter into 2 Samuel chapter 11, which Derek talked about last week. He is on top of the world. Everybody, listen, listen. I hope you get this. The Bible is an intellectually stimulating book. It is a mental exercise. And when you read this story and you read that the second Samuel 11 says, and it starts out with saying, David was on his roof. And you think, oh, okay, well, thank you for telling me that. You, what you have to know immediately is that means something. The writer of the Bible is trying to say, hey, attention, please. David is up on the roof. His palace in Jerusalem was at the highest point of the city. And the roof then made it the highest point in all of the city. So David is on top of the world and he's looking down on everybody else. And everybody wanted to be King David. David, King David is Superman. Little boys running up and down through the streets, they're all envied. I want to, when I grow up, I want to be like David. I want to be like King David. He's respected. He's victorious. He's powerful. And anybody that looks at David up on his roof says, you know what? You could never be stronger. You could never be stronger than what you are right now. And the whole world looked at them that way except for one person, God Almighty. God looked at David and says, you know what? You could never be weaker. David is known for two very important people in his life. He's known for his situation with Bathsheba, who was beautiful and soft and gentle and all of those things. That's the one person. Now, who's the other person he's known for? It was the exact contrast. Goliath, who was ugly and mean and hard and nasty, right? He's known for those two people. Do you get the difference between the two? Now, check this out. David's up on his roof. In the world's view, he's never been stronger. Now let's talk about where he was with Goliath. So the story we have about Goliath is there was two armies, the Israeli army and the Philistine army, and they were on top of ridges, two different ridges. And we're told very specifically in the scripture that they were standing on top of the ridges looking at each other. And little David goes down deep into the valley, the lowest point possible. As everybody is standing on top, he goes as low as possible. And when he gets down the bottom and he gets those five smooth stones, what does he do? He kneels down. So he's lower than everybody. And now he gets down on his knees. He gets as low as he can possibly go. And God looks at him and says, he could never be stronger. We look at David on the roof. We say he could never be stronger. And God says he could never be weaker. And then God looks at David down at the bottom of the valley, kneeling on his knees. And God says that boy could never be stronger than he is at this exact moment. This means something to us. It's very, very important. Very important. So let's read this. Second Samuel chapter 12, the first word it says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. I got to stop right there. All over chapter 11, you see David, when he's at the height of his power, he's sending everybody. Send somebody, bring me Bathsheba. Send her to me. Now send her away. Now send somebody to get Uriah, her husband. Then send him away. Then he sends a note to Joab, kill Uriah. He's doing all the sending. You know what powerful people do sending? 
power. And so you see, there's about eight different occasions where you see David sending somebody of all of his power all throughout chapter 11. And is any coincidence that chapter 12 begins with this word, the Lord sent. So David did all kinds of sending, and God says, now the end of the sending has come. I'm going to send one time. It's going to end everything that you did. I only need to send one time. And God sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and he grew up with him and his children and shared his food, drank his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now listen, everybody reading this story, hearing this story from Pastor Nathan, the whole world knows who we're talking about here, right? Except for one person. David, he has no clue. Verse number five, David burned with anger. He can't see himself in the story at all. He burns with anger. Burns with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over. Interesting that four of David's sons die as a result of the consequences that fall out over this. Because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, what? You are the man. So what we see here is this. We are at our weakest when we cannot see ourselves within the message of God's word. We are at our weakest. Here's the first thing I'd like you to write down. I I, I see me. I see me. So what you have is you have Nathan coming and he's preaching a message. He's preaching a message to David and everybody knows it's about David, but David can't see himself in this. He can't see himself at all. You're talking about somebody else. I can't see me in this. And we are at our weakest when we can't see ourselves in the message of the Bible. The Bible is always personal, everybody. And it's always specific. It's not for somebody else. It's always for me. It's always for me. And I am at my weakest when I can't see me in the message. If you, you know, I, I hear people say to me over the years of ministry, they'll say, oh man, that, that was good. I wish so-and-so would have been here to hear that because they really needed to hear that message. So-and-so really needed to be here to hear that message. You know what I mean? Can you see yourself when we are at our spiritually strongest is when we can see ourselves in the message the Bible is telling us. David couldn't. He couldn't. We're at our weakest when we can't see it. I was reading uh, a story, a true story. Max Lucado, many of you are familiar with Max Lucado. The guy's written like five million books. He cranks out a book. He's a prolific writer. Cranks out a book like every single month. He's bringing out a new book. If you're a Christian, how can you not hear of Max Lucado? And he's talking about this particular story of David and Bathsheba and how, you know, we get up here and we think this is the place to be on the height of the heights. And then we don't see ourselves in the story. And he said he was getting on a plane after he'd been to a conference. And at this conference, people were coming up and saying, oh, Pastor Lucado, it's so awesome to have you here. We're so lucky that you even came to spoke to us. And, and he said he felt so good about himself. And he went to get on the plane, and he was probably sitting in first class because from the story, well, the flight attendant knew his name. And I don't know about you, when I get on a plane, I, I'm, I never sit first class, right? And they never know my name. You're like, your seat, 
you know, 35F, right? That's all, that's all they know of my name. They knew his name. So he's probably sitting in first class. This is what I'm guessing. And he said he was getting a little ticked off because when he got on there, he asked for a Coke and they didn't bring him the Coke. And it seemed like the flight attendant was really distracted and was not doing her job very well. And he said, you know, I should have been served. He was feeling good about being served. I mean, he was a really important person. People should be serving him. And then he asked for a pillow and they messed up on the pillow too. And he's sitting there as the flight's going on. He's getting more and more worked up about this. And what is wrong? And he's getting ready to complain. And right at the height of him getting ready to complain, he felt a tap on his arm and it was her. It was a flight attendant. She's kneeling down next to him. And she said, are you the guy that writes all those Christian books. And he says, well, matter of fact, I am. And then her eyes filled up with tears. And she said, I just got a letter this morning from my husband. He's divorcing me. I can't even think straight. Would you mind praying for me? Can you ever see yourself in the story? Are you ever high and mighty? That's where David was. Can you see yourself in the story is the question. A mark of spiritual growth is when you can see yourself in every single story that's in here. But if you're like, oh man, that's just always for somebody else, then you've never been weaker. You've never been weaker than that moment. I see me. This could be me. You know what a spiritually weak statement is? See all these scandals we put up here? You know what a spiritually weak statement is? That could never be me. That could never, I could never do all that stuff. Never. Ever. You know what, everybody? The seeds are sin. The seeds of sin are in all of us. There's the spiritual truth. The seeds of sin are in all of us. It is a very spiritually weak statement. Like, you know what? Never me. I'd never do that. That's always somebody else. A spiritually strong statement is, oh, God, help me that that would never be me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, because the seeds of sin are in me. I could very well do that. Let's look, see how Apostle Paul says it. First Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, we are just as capable of messing up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. This is what Proverbs, this is how Proverbs says it. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. You want to set yourself up for destruction. You want to put yourself in a spiritually weak place. And you say, you know what? Never me. <laughs> Somebody else. But not me. There's no way that it could be me. Point number two. First one is I see me. I see me in the message. I see me. The second one is I hear me. I hear me. Nathan's talking about me. God's word is talking about me. Not talking about you. He's talking about me in this message. Revelation chapter two. You read these words over and over and over again. In the beginning, the first three chapters of Revelation, it says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Why do we have that? We have that simply because there's a message to the churches about some things that they need to correct in their lives. And God is saying, hey, listen up. Can you hear what I'm saying? Can you hear what I'm saying? David hears this message from Nathan and he's burning with anger for somebody else. And it's obvious to everybody else's ears that we're talking about David, except for David, because he's in a spiritually weak place and he can't see himself or hear himself in the story. Now, I love this story. This true story it happened at a church I was in over 20 years ago. You might find it a little bit uh, twisted or sick or whatever, but that's the kind of person I am. So I, 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 I was uh, at on staff at a church like some 20 plus years ago. And we had a lady in the congregation and she would always sit up front, like second, third, fourth row. Her husband would always sit on the very last row in the back. And you know, when you get to a certain place in the message, you really kind of like a little zinger, a little stinger, whatever you get kind of animated. What happens up here sometimes, you know what I'm saying? When that would happen, she would turn all the way around 
And then she would look through the people until finally, boom, made eye contact and she'd go. You know, right? Because it was never for her. It was always for him. That is a spiritually weak place to be. If you can't hear yourself in this story, there is a problem. Because spiritually growing people who have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ can always see themselves and hear themselves in God's word. Because God's word is always specific and it's always personal. And if it's about somebody else all the time, there's a problem. There's a problem. And this is what we learn from the life of David. We learn this from his life. He is uh, never weaker when it's somebody else. Now, I make this assumption. It's a natural assumption. And the assumption kind of goes like this, everybody. It says, the closer I get to Jesus, the less and less I'm going to sin. I just make this assumption. The closer I get to Jesus, the less and less I'm going to sin. And because if I'm going to sin a whole lot less, I'm going to need to repent a whole lot less because the closer I get to Jesus, the stronger I'm going to be and the less I'm going to sin. And it's a natural assumption. There's only one problem with it. It's absolutely wrong. It's utterly wrong because if you read through the Bible, you see that the people in the Bible who are the closest to God, the closest to Jesus are the most acutely aware of their own sin. The apostle Paul, you can't get much more holy than the apostle Paul. I mean, this guy lived a really strict, holy life, right? And what does he say? He says, Hey everybody, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Like there's nobody on this planet that's more sinful than I am. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. How can that be possible? How about Isaiah? Isaiah was the holiest person that lived in the city of Jerusalem. He's the holiest guy that is in Jerusalem. And he says in Isaiah, he says, once he gets in God's presence, he says, you know what? I'm completely destroyed, he says, because I'm such a sinner. The people who are the closest, the closest to God, the closest to Jesus, are the ones who are most acutely aware of their sin. I make this false assumption that the closer I get to Jesus, the farther and farther away I get from sin, and that I need to repent less and less and less. Like, I'm repenting in a decade. Man, I'm really strong. You know, you know what I'm saying? But it's the opposite is true. We look at David up on the roof, and we say, man, you're Superman. We have a picture. Let's throw the picture. All right? We say, we're Superman. And everybody wants to be Superman because Superman always saves the world. He always saves the world. Except for one person. There's one person in this universe who does not have the same opinion that we do. He doesn't have the same opinion about Superman. In his world, he says, Superman never saves the world. And that's God. You see, in God's world... In God's world, Superman never saves the world. In God's world, who saves the world? Who's, who's the next guy? Right there. The weak one. The weak one always saves the world. You know why? Because in Christ's kingdom, to go up, you always go down to go up. You always go down to go up. And it's always in humility and weakness. So what's the scripture say? Don't trust in chariots and horses. What is it saying? Don't trust in power and might. What's the Bible says? When you are weak, you're strong. See, in God's world, David was at his weakest when he was Superman on top of his roof. And he was never stronger when he was down in the bottom of the valley, kneeling down. See, we have to get this understanding about this in order for us to really grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if we don't have this critical point, right, we're going to have a total misunderstanding about what it means to have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Up always starts with down. Down at the bottom. All right. So we spent some time on that, and I got this one final point. It actually is the most important point of, of them all. And so if you've checked out throughout the midst of the scandal and the I see me and I hear me thing, here's the, here's the, the grand moment to wake up for the last four minutes because this is really important. Here's how you understand the marks of somebody who's growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And fill this in if you would. I confess it is me. 
I confess. I've seen me. I've heard me. It's me. I confess it's me. So let's look what happens. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 7 says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you as king of Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I just have to pause for a second. I'm sorry. There's a little, just a little side note here because people ask me, so, oh man, I, and I've actually had a number of ladies say to me, you know, I'm not in the Bible with the polygamy thing. That's why I'm, not, I'm just totally uncool. I don't get it. This is wrong. And so some people turn to this verse and say, hey, look, God gave them all the wives. That's not what's going on here, everybody. When you had victory in a kingdom, like you took over a kingdom, what it was back in those days is you inherited everything that the king had. So he inherits all of Saul's wives. God's not saying, hey, I want you to have a bunch of wives. God told him clearly in Deuteronomy, don't have a lot of wives. Adam and Eve, boom, boom, that's it. One plus one, that's it. That's all there is. So if you're confused about that, don't be confused about that. And here's the other thing I want to say. Isn't it interesting from the story that Nathan tells David, you got the one guy with the one little ewe lamb and he's as satisfied as can be, as happy as can be. You got this other guy over here, he's got a whole harem, Right? And he's not satisfied. You know what? In my thinking, if I can just fulfill my lust, I will be satisfied. But God says, no, lust is never satisfied. Are you getting that? So you got the one guy, he's got all kinds of lambs. He's got all kinds, but he's dissatisfied. You got this guy over here, he's living a satisfied life. And he's got one. I I thought I'd point that out to you. Anyway. uh, uh, where am I? Verse number nine. Uh, and why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. In the weeks following, we're going to talk about consequences, and there's a lot of fallout from this. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you before your very eyes i will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight that was his son absalom who slept with his wives it's a statement that i've took i've taken power from you where did he sleep with david's wives anybody know up on the roof it's all happening up on the roof everybody where there's never been more power you did it in secret i'll do it in broad daylight before israel and then david said to nathan what i have sinned against the lord he just owns it he owns it he didn't say, eh, you know, yes, but there's a reason. If she just hadn't been there, you know, for me to see. He doesn't, there's no buts. There's no excuses. He just owns it, man. You ever been around somebody who screws up and they just totally own it? No excuses, no ands, no buts. No, well, wait a minute. Ah. No, just own it. He just owns it straight up. Psalm 51, read the whole psalm. He's owning it all the way through there. Look, sometimes I'll say to people, hey, look, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. That's a really general statement, everybody. And this is not what David does. It's a flippant statement. Hey, I'm a sinner. Uh-huh. I mean, don't judge me. I'm a sinner. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You know what? In the Bible, repentance is always specific. And David gets very specific in Psalm 51 about what was going on in his life. And he just owns it. He repents. You know the kind of stuff that David says in the scripture in Psalm 51? He talks about he's lost the joy of his salvation. He talks about his bones are wasting away because of what he has done. He says he's groaning over it. He's severely grieved. And when we repent and we're grieved, seriously grieved, we're not just ticked off. Hey, I said I'm sorry. How many times has somebody made up with you by saying, I told you I'm sorry. Just forgive me. Ever happened before? I know you're really silent, so it's happened to you. Right? So... 
right? That's not an apology. It's not an apology. You know, there's a difference, everybody, between being upset that you got caught and being grieved by what you did. Massive difference. A lot of people are just upset that they got caught, but they haven't repented. And I'm like, oh, man, I've owned this. There's the mark of spiritual growth. And this is what David does. He completely owns this, names it, and he repents for what he has done, and he doesn't make any excuses. Look, the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, ends this way. Samuel, 2 Samuel 24. Isn't this interesting? This is fascinating. Of all the stories the writer Samuel could have told us, what's the last thing he tells us about David in 2 Samuel? He tells us that David blew it again, not as bad as with Uriah and Bathsheba, but he blows it again. And this time, no prophet comes to see him. No pastor preaches a hellfire and brimstone message. Nobody says boo to him. It's, we're told this, that David's heart is stricken. He's conscience stricken. You know why? Nobody needed to say, hey, it's time to repent. Why? Because he's grown spiritually. See, he had to have a prophet come to me for and say, you're the man. Oh, I repent. Forgive me. This time he's grown so much spiritually that he's repenting all on his own. Nobody had to call him out. That's how you measure the fact that somebody has grown spiritually or even in their own maturity. They don't have to be called out like, oh, yes, I've messed up. It's growth. It's growth. We are to live a lifestyle of repentance. Something really incredible happened in 1517. It changed our entire world. It sent shockwaves around our planet in 1517. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Church. And believe it or not, maybe you don't know this, maybe you do know this, our entire planet has been affected by what Martin Luther did. It is a major historical event. Do you know what his first thesis was? Let's read it. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance, a lifestyle. You know what? I think that spiritual growth is me being Superman. I think it's me sinning less and less and me repenting less and less. And if I can make it 5, 10, 15, 20, 20 years without repenting, I must be really hot stuff. Okay? But what Scripture tells us is, is for the person who's spiritually growing, they have a lifestyle of repentance. Here's my question to you. When's the last time you repented? When's the last time you were seriously grieved about your own sin, that you became acutely aware of your sin and you repented for what you did? When is the last time that you did that? Has it been a couple weeks? Has it been a couple months? That's probably too long because people like Isaiah and Paul would probably say it's a daily occurrence. It's a daily occurrence. When Jesus Christ came preaching in Matthew chapter 4, we're told he begins his preaching by saying what? Who knows the word? Repent. Repent for the king. It's a lifestyle. We have to live lifestyles of repentance. And that is how we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that? It takes true strength to do that. Clark Kent always saves the world. Superman always fails. Always fails. Never stronger, never stronger than when you're down on your knees. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.